Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. Hey, how you doing? Nick James here. What a phenomenal time to be live and welcome to episode number four, apparently, I thought it was number three, of Open and Real Q&A with Nick J. I'm joined by Jav who asks the questions, as you know. Jav, what's the first question you got for me today? So the first one is from Amanda Daniels-Allen, and it's, what visibility ideas do you have for someone who isn't keen on putting themselves out there? Okay, what visibility ideas do I have for someone who isn't keen on putting themselves out there? I suppose the question itself, Amanda, I'm sorry to say, is a little bit of a contradiction. So um, bear with me. I think the first thing we've got to ask is what's preventing you from putting yourself out there? Like what's the blocker? What's the hindering thought? What's the, what's the fear or concern around putting yourself out there? I think most of the time when people have got a fear or concern around putting themselves out there, it's probably either A, a lack of clarity of message or B, and I'm not suggesting this is the case with you, um, there might be, um, let's say, some skeletons in the closet. I'll give you an example, personal example. As you might have heard me share before, um, I've had a num numerous businesses over the years. And um, in 2015, I had a business partnership. We went our separate ways. Let's just say the business wasn't performing the way that I would have liked and that we would have liked. Um, and so it definitely felt like that was a bit of a failure for me. And so in the immediate aftermath of that, I definitely had a bit like you're suggesting here, Amanda, a bit of a concern, a bit of a fear around putting myself out there. Because I'm like, what are people going to think? Do they think that, you know, I've failed in business, therefore I don't have the authority or I don't have the credibility to teach anything business related. So I was a bit concerned about putting myself there, out there for that reason. I think what enabled me to essentially, you know, um, lick my wounds and, and get back in the saddle, as it were, and start producing content and, and things like that was actually to be pretty transparent around the experience that I'd had. Because my fear was what might people think. So rather than let them come to their own conclusions, which was a concern for me, I just met it head on. I remember the first thing I did after that business partnership ended, um, we put out like a joint written statement that we kind of um, compiled together um, so that our clients knew what was going on, etc. Um, but then I actually made a video just sharing, hey, here's exactly what's going on for me and here's what's going to happen next and here's um, where I feel that I can have most value and this is where I'm going to focus now. Um, which was, um, as Amanda, you know, uh, in the field of um, mentoring and advising and consulting for people who run live events. So the reason I took that approach was because I went, look, the truth is um, my credibility then as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, probably was in question because I'd run a business that financially had not succeeded. But my credibility around how to promote and fill and run successful events could never have been in question. So I decided to zone in on that instead. So um, that's part one. 
of the answer to your question, Amanda. Part two is then what ideas have I got around visibility? Um, I think you've then got to look at what you're comfortable and good at versus what you're not so comfortable and not good at in terms of media and um, how you actually create content and deliver a message. So you might feel more confident or more comfortable in the written word than you do on camera, or you might feel more confident or comfortable um, recording audio than you do in the written word. So utilize whichever style of content you feel most comfortable and confident in. Um, and I think if you combine those two things, then I hope, Amanda, that you'll feel a little bit more comfortable with becoming visible. But what I do know is that there really isn't much of an alternative because if you're not visible, you're invisible. Um, and if you're invisible, then you can't generate inquiries, opportunities, leads, clients, customers, sales, income, and you can't make impact. Um, and ultimately, I'm guessing the reason you're in your business is because you want to you want to make an impact, you want to make income, and you can't do that without visibility. Next question, Jav. The next one is from Claire Morton. Yep. And it's how do you see sales sales team strategies going in the next three to five years? Okay, so how do I see sales um, as a broad term and sales teams and strategies around selling going in the next three to five years? I think um, there's been a bit of a shift probably over the last five years whereby there was a time where like almost all companies had sales teams. Then we went through a phase where it kind of was seen as a bit old school to have a sales team. So a lot of companies did not have sales teams. So they did a lot more business online. Um, they didn't have people in their business who were focused on outbound calls, appointment setting, attending you know, face-to-face -face meetings, etc. cetera. Um, and I think over the last few years, we've actually gone back a little bit to old school. Um, we've got six full-time people in our team who are dedicated to outbound sales. Um, and selling and closing deals. And um, what I find is that around about 50% of the sales we make happen as a result of a conversation with somebody in our sales team. In other words, if we did not have that sales team, we probably wouldn't make half the sales we make. Um, and as I already referenced in the previous question, like sales equals impact and income. So it's not just about salesperson brings the money in so that we can make more money. It's like, well, if you don't sell and you don't close deals, you can't make the impact you wanna make in your business either. So I actually think that in today's environment, and I predict this will continue next three to five years, I think a lot of people now, um, like I said, pre, I'm gonna say pre, 2016-17, um, people were buying online quite fluently and readily. I'm not saying that people don't buy online fluently now. Sites like Amazon, of course, you know, make more and more sales every single week than they've ever done before. But I think when you're a small business, I think what I've observed is people are a little bit more skeptical 
a little bit more careful when it comes to buying online. And so a sales team, sales support, will, in, will enable your potential clients and customers to, if they've got questions or if they need to speak to a human, then the sales team will enable that sale to take place. So just on um, our recent Expert Empires event, um, you know, we've pretty much sold out. I'm sure by the time this um, recording goes out, we will be. I think we've got 13 tickets left out of 600. Um, we sold the majority of those tickets, more than half, were sold not online, so either over the phone or um, people who had previously attended our events um, said, hey, I'm interested in buying a ticket, and then someone called them and, um, and uh, sold the ticket over the phone. So more than half the tickets were sold offline, as it were. And what we actually did this time, we've not done it before, um, and Jav can take credit for this bit of tech, because I would never have known how to do this. On the actual web page where people could buy online, there was also a pop-up which was like, hey, if you've got any questions, you can send a message here, and it would send a WhatsApp to one of our team. Um, and I know um, that we sold a number of tickets where people had asked questions on those WhatsApps. I remember um, one day in particular, um, the member of the team who was manning those messages, Matt Selby, um, came into me and was like, I've just sold three elite tickets off that little message uh, interaction. Um, and by the way, the elite tickets are, what, uh, 600 quid a piece. So, you know, he made 1,800 quid's worth of ticket sales in one conversation that started from WhatsApp. And I don't know, but maybe those people or that person who bought three elite tickets wouldn't have bought just straight off the web page because they had unresolved questions. So I, I think in answer to the question, where do I see sales and sales teams going in the next three to five years? I, I don't see it changing. I feel like people more, more now than maybe five years ago uh, need human interaction because there are questions, concerns. You know, maybe there just isn't, they land on a website and there just isn't the trust there yet. Um, and then the other, the other area where I see it being effective, Claire, is because um, that's probably when you're selling low to mid ticket products and services. Um, if you're selling high ticket products and services, then um, it's likely that those deals will be closed in a full you know, meeting, uh, whether that's face-to-face -face or over Zoom. But where I think sales teams, sales people can be valuable is in the lead up to setting those appointments. So as a business owner, Claire, my guess is that you want to be focusing on the highest value tasks, i.e. the things that make most impact and most income for your business. So making outbound sales calls is important, but it's probably not the work that you want to be doing. So having somebody or some people in your team who can do those, do that work um, and reach out, um, maybe even doing cold calling, reaching out to people on social media, essentially developing business opportunities for you or for a senior salesperson to close. Um, I think that's that's critical. I think a lot of a lot of people that we work with, a lot of clients that I deal with, they they struggle because they don't have that. They they in the early days they have the time and the desire to do that work, the outbound calling, the DMs, the nurturing of those opportunities to set up sales conversations. Um, but then as they get busier and busier and the business becomes more and more successful, they don't have the time to do that. And so now there's a gaping hole left 
in their business. And so that's where I think uh, a salesperson or a sales team could be valuable, even if you're a high ticket um, product or service business. So for example, if you sell exclusively to corporates, um, and Claire, if I remember correctly, I think you do some work in corporates. Um, So for you in particular, having another person or other people in your business that do the legwork to develop those op- uh, opportunities to then set up a meeting for you to actually go in and um, close the deal or, or have a Zoom call where you close the deal. I think that's where I see um, sales and sales teams um, right now and in the next three, four, five years. Right. The next one is also from Claire, and she wants to know what is the best bit of advice that you could give to a new starter entrepreneur on their first day? On their first day? A bit like the first day of school. Yeah. Um, so what advice could I give or would I give to a, a startup business owner entrepreneur on their first day? I think on day one, well, I'm going to come at this from two angles. One, what not to do. On day one, don't spend time on designing a website or branding or um, like getting business cards made or you know what I wouldn't even set up a formal company I wouldn't bother the first thing I do on day one is ask myself who is my ideal client or customer what do they want more than anything that I can provide or what's the pain or problem that they want to solve more than anything that I can solve and what's the package the product the service that i can offer that's going to deliver that i'd get super clear on that that's day one um, and then i'd spend 80 percent, or i'd tell them to spend 80 percent of their time their energy their resources on marketing and sales on developing business opportunities inquiries um, working their network the people that they already know Um, that might be a good fit for purchasing that product or service, even if the people they know aren't a good fit for purchasing that product or service, getting those people that they know to recommend, refer, or introduce them to people that would be a good fit. Yeah, that's that's probably day one and week one. Um, But honestly, I wouldn't set up a company bank. This is like completely the opposite of the advice that you'd be normally given. I wouldn't set up a company bank account. I wouldn't set up a limited company. I wouldn't build a fancy website. I wouldn't do any of this stuff. I'd literally just go straight to where where the money is because within the first 30 days of doing that and spending 80% of your time and energy and resource on marketing and sales activity, you'll have a good idea of whether or not you've got a viable business. Whereas setting up the limited company and the bank account um, and building the website and doing the branding and the business cards and all the stuff I said not to do, you could do all that and you've still got no clue whether or not you've got a viable business. So then you'd still have to do all the things I just said, but you've wasted time. And by the way, if it turns out you haven't got a viable business, you've wasted all that time and a lot of money on nothing. So that's what I do on day one and week one, Claire. Hey, real quick, if you've been listening to the Empire Builders podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I do not run ads. 
on this podcast. And what you should also know about me is that I only partner with companies who I absolutely 100% believe in. And so I'm making an exception because of my partnership and my loyalty to Keep. So since 2010, I've been using Keep, which was previously known as Infusionsoft, to automate all the sales and marketing in my business, deliver world-class experience to my clients, run e-commerce reports, manage affiliates, partners, and loads more. I really believe that Keep is the best CRM on the planet for small businesses, for entrepreneurs that are building their empire. Many of my guests on this podcast use it, and pretty much all of my closest friends in the industry also use it. That should speak volumes. So uh, Infusionsoft recently rebranded to keep K-E-A-P and what they've also done is brilliantly made it even more affordable, even more usable for businesses that are at different stages of their journey. So go and get a free demo. All you need to do is go to keep.com, that's K-E-A-P, keep.com forward slash empire builders. And by using that link, I've negotiated the best possible deal for Empire Builders subscribers. So go to keep.com forward slash Empire Builders. You get a free demo, and when you go through that unique link, it means you'll get the best possible deal because you're a subscriber of this podcast. So let's get back to the show. Right, the next one is from Natalie Potts, and she's asking, who have been your key influences in your life? Natalie, who have been my key influence in my life? Other than Jav, obviously, been a key influence in my life, as he asked the questions. Um, who have been the key influences in my life? There's so many. Um, so the first few that come to mind, um, my mum has to be number one key influence in my life, has to be. Um, so my mum was a single mum throughout most of my childhood. Um, she had a crazy work ethic. So she worked um, full time. Well, when I was very young, she basically realized, because she was a single mum, that she was going to have to go out and get a, you know, not just a job that would get her a bit of money, but a proper job that had opportunities and and career progression. Um, And she went and got, like with no qualifications and no experience, went and got a pretty good job um, as like the manager um, of, uh, I think originally the first job, it was, she was like managing a snooker hall um, for a leisure company that owned, uh, owned a chain of snooker clubs all over the country. And then before long, she was managing the region and then she became like, ultimately she became like the operations director for this big corporate. Um, so, you know, like work ethic. She's also the person that got me into personal development at 12 years of age. So she's been a massive, massive influence um, on my life and you know to this to this day um i wonder if she'll watch this video or 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 hear this podcast episode um so i've got to give her credit for where it's due um thanks mum love you uh then uh, i'd say have to give tony robbins credit as the first person that i really kind of studied and followed in the world of personal development you know back in the early 90s it's not like it is now Personal development wasn't accessible in the mainstream. You couldn't go on Instagram or like this morning in the car. I've like I was like, mm, 
what should I listen to? And it pops up on my phone, new episode, Tony Robbins podcast, I go bang, great, I've got Tony Robbins on demand in my car. He didn't have that one in the early 90s. So, you know, the, my mum, first of all, because that kind of information wasn't as readily accessible, like you had to really work for it um, by like, you know, buying books and tape sets and going to live seminars. Um, you know, the fact that she bothered to do that and then actually invite, bothered to invite me to do that as well, massive influence. And, you know, um, I spent, what, from the age of 12 to 20, so like that eight year period, um, spent, I, I, I've never totaled up how many days, but it would probably be in eight years, I bet you I spent in excess of 100 days um, all over the world at Tony Robbins seminars. Um, and so learned a lot, uh, as in my own personal development. Um, you know, I had a, an insane kind of learning curve, but also of course, um, learned a lot about how to run world-class events, which is what we do now primarily in Expert Empires and, and the Empire Group. So yeah, I think that, that I got Tony Robbins a lot of credit. Um, and then I'd say Andy Harrington, who's a dear friend of mine and, and gave me a job in my early 20s in sales for his seminar business, his NLP training company, um, taught me how to sell, taught me um, the basics of marketing, um, and taught me indirectly how to run a business because I was so, I, he only had a very small team when I joined. I think there was like four or five of us. Um, and when I left, there was like 20. So um, I, I saw what it took to grow a business from here to here, um, just by being in and around Andy. And, you know, I learned from the things that he did that worked really well. I learned from the, the mistakes that he made as well. And, and like I said, you know, I give him a lot of credit. We're still really good friends to this day and hang out and chat and stuff. So um, yeah, gotta give him credit. Um, yeah, those are probably the three. There's loads of others. I could go on literally all day about people that have been major influences. Um, I, I'd probably say the only other two people I've got, I'll put in my grandparents, um, Nan and Pop, who, um, my Nan's 95 now. Um, she's amazing. Um, but ultimately, when my mum was, uh, you know, working in this high-powered job and, you know, she would work away a lot, um, you know, and throughout my childhood, we moved in with my grandparents um, and out and then back in and out over uh, for many different reasons over many different years. Um, and so, you know, I think whilst my mum taught me a lot about um, having a successful career and got me into the personal development world, my nan and pop really provided the kind of stable family unit. So I kind of had the best of both worlds in many respects. Um, and I think actually when I look at my family, I've modelled unconsciously the family unit that my nan and pop created. So I think that's probably worth giving them a shout out. My nan definitely won't watch this video or listen to this podcast, but you never know. Maybe my mum will play it for her or something because they live with my, uh, my, my nan lives with my mum now. So um, yeah, got to give them credit where it's due. Amazing. Right, the final question is from Nick Feeney. Yes. And he asks, when and how do you plan your weeks? Yeah, so when and how do I plan my weeks? So I don't ever 
sit down at the end of a week or the start of the next week and make a to-do list for what I need to do that week. That doesn't, I don't think that would work for me. And here's the reason, because I don't have any gaps in my week to then work through that to-do list. So the what happens is when, when we do our strategic planning process, which we do quarterly, there are certain things in the strategic plan that I'm responsible for that I can't delegate out to members of the team. I have to do them myself. Um, and of course, the first protocol is always, well, who in the team could take that and own that and gives them opportunity to take on more responsibility and therefore add more value to the business and develop them um, as a person and as a team member. The stuff that has to stay with me um, then gets diarised. And sometimes it will get diarised for immediate that week. Sometimes it will get diarised for three weeks down the line or a month down the line or even two months down the line. Um, but essentially... Any task that I have to do goes in the diary. Um, the only exception to that is um, I'll have a day a week normally, which we call a CEO day. I might have shared this before on this q and I can't remember, um, which is essentially an empty day where I'm able to be strategic, to review our progress towards our goals for the quarter and the year, to work on the vision for where we want to go in the businesses, um, to reach out to key strategic partners, build relationships, that kind of thing. Um, so th those things are not diarized. So I suppose on those days, I'll, I'm, I might you know, make a quick list of you know, the key people I want to connect with or things that I want to work on that day. But generally speaking, my diary is packed out like three to four weeks in advance. Jav knows because getting these sessions into record hasn't been easy for him at all. He's had to go to Claire and go, right, where can we possibly fit in half an hour, 45 minutes to record these episodes? So, yeah, I, I don't plan a week. I don't sit down at the start of the week and plan the week. The week's already planned at that point. Um, but I guess, Nick, what happens is when we do our strategic planning quarterly, that then creates the list of tasks and actions that I need to take, and then those are diarised. Um, the thing that is probably most frustrating about running a bigger business now is that I don't have that like flexibility and freedom to go, right, what am I going to do this week, and get creative in the moment, which my personality style quite likes. So everything now frustratingly takes longer, um, and I'm not the most patient person at the best of times. So, you know... Generally speaking, you know, we set the goals for the quarter, the intentions for the quarter, we decide upon the projects, the actions that need to be taken, and invariably those get scheduled for further downstream and it and it takes time and patience. But you know, when you're running a smaller business, you, you could absolutely um probably you know work off a plan for the week. Um, but even then, I would start with Everything that I talk about, you know, in our events, in our trainings, if you've been to Expert Empires, you'll have heard me talk about this as well. You know, vision first, then strategy, annual priorities, quarterly priorities, then, right, what are the actions that need to be taken and when do they get diarised? And when you're a small business, you can probably do that shorter term planning. And as you grow and get bigger, everything needs to be planned more long term and more in advance. That's it.
that is it. So thanks everyone for listening, watching, tuning in to this fourth, apparently, episode of Open Real Q&A with Nick J. As always, um, keep the questions coming in. Send them in via email to jav, J-A-V, at expertempires.com. That's jav, J-A-V, at expertempires.com. See you next time. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect. Thank you.